Today's theme is a way of life. When I thought about a way of life, I was thinking my first uh, image was me getting up every morning, making a cup of coffee, sitting in the living room with my coffee and my Bible and doing my morning devotions. I thought, you know, another way of life for us is on Sundays usually we get to talk to our grandchildren that live in Illinois. And uh, so we, we have these different things that make up a way of life for us, do we not? And so when we talk about a way of life, what we're talking about is, um, is a routine that has purpose. Now the journey that Jesus and his disciples are on involves three different locations. <laughs> what we hear in that opening verse is a reference to Galilee, to Jerusalem, and to Samaria. Let me see if I can open it up here. This is how Luke begins this story. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As Jesus was heading toward Jerusalem, he reached the border area between Galilee and Samaria. So we know that they were in Galilee because Jesus had been doing much of his ministry, many of the healings, the miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, all these things have been happening up in, up in Galilee. But he has a purposeful journey to, to Jerusalem. Now, most people who are in Galilee, they go to Jerusalem as pilgrims. And it was uh, at least three major festivals every year. You could be there for up to five. But those were pilgrims that they would make this journey. But Jesus is not a pilgrim. He is heading to Jerusalem to fulfill a divine purpose. And that purpose is to fulfill his call as the Son of God, the Messiah, which will take him to the cross. He is preparing to fulfill this divine purpose. And so as he does so, he travels along a border between Galilee and Samaria. Now, Samaria is not a place that most Jews would want to go through. You see, um, historically, the Samaritans were Jews. They were a part of the northern kingdom. Um, however, Assyria in 721 attacks them, B.C. 721, attacks them and takes many of them, most of them, into exile. There are some who remain there in Assyria, plants, all kinds of Assyrians there. They intermarry, which was not a thing that Jews were supposed to do. They intermarry, and before long, um, they have an introduction of new gods in addition to the God of Israel. And so they have built their own temple in the place called Mount Gerizim, which is in the region of Samaria. The temple for the Jews is in the southern kingdom in Judah, 
which is in Jerusalem. So Jews see the Samaritans as unclean in a sense, unfaithful, and they don't want to have any kind of contact with them. And so the border would be an important thing because the border would separate the two. What's interesting here is that we don't know on which side of the border they are on. It doesn't say. Now on an earlier journey through Samaria to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples go into a village. This is in Luke chapter 9. And the village finds out that he's on his way to Jerusalem. And so they reject presenting any hospitality to him. So what happens is that, in essence, Jesus and his disciples are chased out of town, out of this village. Later, in chapter 10, Jesus tells us a parable about a, a Jewish man who is on a road traveling and he is robbed, beaten and robbed, left for dead. And there are two Jews who pass by, a Jewish priest and a Jewish Levite. Neither of them want to touch the man and become unclean. I suppose they're going to the temple. And so they leave him alongside of the road. But there's a Samaritan. We know this story is the Good Samaritan, right? There's a Samaritan who stops and helps. And so Jesus seems to be implying that God's mercy is broad enough for even Samaria. God's mercy is expansive enough to even be allowed to be benefited by Samaritans. But there has always been this tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, and today's story is, is no different. We may make some assumptions, but there truly is ambiguity here. In verses 12 to 14, let's take a look. As he entered the village there, ten lepers, see it's the village there, not the village in Galilee, not the village in Samaria. As he entered a village there, along the border, ten lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they, were, as they went on their way, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Is this village a Samaritan village? Is it a Galilean village? Is it a Jewish village? Is it a Gentile village? We don't know. I grew up in an Irish Catholic village. I mean, that was, we had the, the, behind the city of Des Moines, Iowa, we had the second largest St. Patrick's Parade in the state of Iowa. For a town of 4,000, that was quite a remarkable event. I mean, our sister city was Dublin. How many sister cities, I mean, how many cities get to call, count Dublin as their sister city? It was a school holiday. When I went to my Lutheran college, I slept in on March 17th, and my roommate woke me up. He said, aren't you going to class? And I said, 
what? There's no class today. It's St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> and he just stared at me like I was nuts. I was. My internship community had no real connection to any religious identity. It was the inner city, Kansas City. There didn't seem to be a whole lot of God present anywhere there, let alone Catholics or Presbyterians or Lutherans. So in this story, there were 10 lepers shouting at Jesus because they stood at a distance from him. They understood that they were ritually unclean, that they, they understood that they were not acceptable to the community. They stood at a distance. Because they stood at a distance, they had to shout, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, leprosy in Jesus' day was a disorder um, of, of a skin disease, but it could be a variety of different skin diseases. It wasn't just um, Hansen's disease that we know of it as today. So there was a, a, a broad perspective of skin diseases, and most of them, most of them were not fatal. Most of them it was just an irritation that you had to live with. And so these 10 lepers are not probably suffering so much from a physical ailment as they are from a psychosocial religious ailment. They have been, in a sense, excommunicated because of their diseases. They are forced out of the community. They are to live outside of the village. They are not to have any interaction and so they live instead with a great deal of dread and shame. How do these lepers know Jesus? You know, have you ever thought about that? How would they have known about Jesus? They're not part of the community. Isn't it interesting that, that the word about Jesus comes even to leper colonies? Places that are outside of the community. A word about Jesus comes to even spiritual outcasts. These lepers submit to Jesus with the hope of some sort of healing from their disease and from their social order, or might we call it their social disorder. Jesus tells them, Go show yourselves to the priests. But it says that as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of those ten that were healed realized as he was walking to the priest that he, that he had been healed and he returned to Jesus. Now the priests in this day were not medical healers. You didn't go to the priest's so that they can miraculously heal you. The priests in Jesus' day were more like um, healthcare administrators, deciding should we pay for this treatment or not. They were more like healthcare workers. Well, we've done these tests and this is what it indicates. That's more what the priest did. He was the one that could say, yes, it looks like you are healed. 
or no, you are not. The one, however, doesn't go to the priest. Instead, he returns and goes back to Jesus. Luke tells us that he he did three things when he returned to Jesus. He praised God. He fell down at Jesus' feet. And he gave thanks. Now, it would have been a normal practice for anyone that was healed to do the first of those three things. To praise God. How many of us have praised God for healings that have surprised us, miraculous or even normal, but still wanting to give thanks to God. We praise God. But how many of us fall at the feet of Jesus, which was a true act of submission? It was to say that this one who stands before me has authority over my life. And how many of us have taken the initiative to say thank you. The Samaritan does not return to the priest, but instead he runs back to Jesus. This for me is the most interesting part of the story. I mean, was was the Samaritan being sacrilegious because he didn't run back to the priest? Was he being disrespectful to the priest? Shouldn't he have followed through with what Jesus had told him to do? Or did he see something that the other nine didn't? That they couldn't see? They were all healed. All of them were told to go to the priest. And on the way to the priest, it says in the story that all ten of them were healed. All ten had their disease removed. All ten had their shame removed. So where did the other nine go? Did they go to the priest? But only one returned to Jesus. Could it be that the one who returned to Jesus saw him as perhaps the highest priest? Remember the high priest position? I mean, if you were told that you're going to be healed and that you're going to go see your bishop but the one who healed you was the presiding bishop would you still go to the bishop or would you go to your presiding bishop back to the one who actually declared you healed if you were to be healed by a transient would you return to the transient or would you go to the pastor to make sure that your healing was certified what about the nine even after being healed why did they go to the priest were they caught up in the practice of the religion that they could not, did not even see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in Jesus? 
Did they go to the synagogue or to the temple to fulfill their duty? Did they even recognize Jesus as the one who healed them? Remember, they did cry out, Jesus, Master, heal us. So there had to be some kind of recognition, but maybe, maybe it didn't sink in. And what's interesting is that all here are healed and receive the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. So it's not like the one who returns to Jesus gets an extra special healing. That's not the, that's not the story. They are all equally healed and restored. They all receive this salvific blessing, this salvation blessing. They all receive it. It's theirs. But nine don't seem to recognize it completely. For us as Christians, submission and gratitude begin with recognizing that God is the reason we are so blessed. Jesus makes this clear for us by going to the cross, by suffering and dying for us, by bringing us his forgiveness, and through the resurrection, bringing us salvation. But have we forgotten that? Years ago now, probably 15 years ago or more, I was at a church event. They were at a presenter who was asking the question, think back to the day when your faith seemed to come alive for you. Think back to that day. Do you remember the excitement? Do you remember the joy? Do you remember the, the feelings that you were experiencing? He said, do you still feel that way today? If not, what have we lost? What have we forgotten? One of the things that we learn in this story is that God's character is made manifest in how he provides mercy to all, even to the ungrateful. Amen? <laughs> Isn't that a, a word of good news for those of us who have on occasion not been ungrateful? That this mercy that God provides even comes to those who are ungrateful. Praising God, submitting to Jesus, and giving thanks, I think, is a way of life. It takes a decision. We need to make a decision that we are going to live our lives with gratitude, in submission to Jesus. It's an intentional act. It's not any different than getting up, preparing my cup of coffee, and beginning with my devotions. It's not any different than making a commitment 
filling out that commitment card to, to the church that I want to support. It's not any different than talking to the loved ones that we plan to visit with every week. It's the way of life. Giving thanks is an intentional act. We can make the decision to be grateful or not, to be thankful or not, to submit to God or not. On this Thanksgiving weekend, what do we want to define our life? A series of football games or a relationship with Jesus? If you're ready to join me today in continuing your relationship with Jesus, I invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for these stories that kind of shake up our lives, that remind us that you've had an intention for us that we have sometimes forgotten about. We thank you, Lord. We praise you that you still provide your blessings, your salvation to us, even when we are unthankful, even when we have forgotten to give thanks. So today we ask you, Lord, to remind us to be intentional, to make decisions every day, to begin our day with being thankful, to begin our day with gratitude for all the blessings that you have given us. And no matter what challenges lie ahead of us, what disruptions create havoc in our lives, Help us to be grateful for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.